Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, who knows the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today. Just give us some great revelation out of his words. So we're going to do that. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your presence. Holy Spirit, I thank you, God, that you just want to speak to us so powerfully. And God, I pray as we look at your word once again, we thank you, God, that your word is alive and active. Father, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. And today, God, you want to speak to us, you want to encourage us, you want to help us today in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Uh, This morning, I want to spend a few moments actually looking on the Lord's Prayer, uh, one of my most favorite prayers in the Word of God. And I've titled my message today, How to Pray, What to Pray. How to Pray, What to Pray. So I want to talk to you for a few moments about your prayer life and to really help you ignite your prayer life to a whole new level. You know, there are so many different instances uh, in the Word of God of people praying. And, uh, you know, you often hear that, you know, the word prayer, praying, pray is mentioned hundreds and hundreds of times in the Word of God. And I think sometimes when you hear someone praying uh, in God's Word, you wonder, what are they praying? How are they praying? What makes their prayer life actually effective and powerful? The Bible says that Elijah was a man just like us and he prayed and rain came down. He prayed and he was able to produce a drought. What was it in this man's life that actually gave him the power to arrest the attention of heaven? You know, I think when the disciples were with Jesus, I think they were curious as well because they saw the way that Jesus prayed. Now, the reality is the disciples, as we know, they lived in a culture of prayer. They saw the Pharisees praying. They saw the religious establishment praying. And yet when they saw Jesus pray, they saw that his prayers were very different to everyone else's prayers. There was an authority in his prayer life. Things were moving in his prayer life. There was this connection with his heavenly Father when it came to his prayer life. And so in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, They turn to Jesus and they say, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? I love what Jeremiah says when it comes to our connection with God. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 24. He says, but let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have an understanding to know me, that I'm the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. I love that church. I think if anything that we can boast about is our ability to actually connect with heaven, not our boasting in what we've done and our achievements and the things that we do in life, but the Bible says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I think an active prayer life helps us speak into that space. I think an effective prayer life actually helps us tap into this whole idea of our connection with God, to actually know Him in prayer. When I read the Lord's Prayer, I began to think about this whole idea that it actually helps us in the way that we actually relate to Him. I love what it says in Psalm 103, verse 7, one of my favorite passages that kind of defines Moses' leadership. It says, He made known His ways to Moses and His deeds to the people of Israel. Church, I want to say this. Our prayer life is not about wanting God to do something for us. Our prayer life is about knowing the ways of God in our lives. I think many people stop at one level. 
They stop in this thing, God, will you fix this? God, will you sort this out? God, will you resolve this? And let me say this, God does want to bless you. God does want to help you. We have a wonderful, caring, heavenly Father that wants to stand in the gap and help us in our time of need. But I think uh, dealing with God at just a needs level, there's a whole nother level that is so much deeper, and that is to actually be a person who knows the ways of God. And we see this distinction between Moses and Israel, how Israel were just happy with the deeds of God, but Moses wanted to know the ways of God. And you know, one of the things I love about this particular fast, and every time we do this over the last few years, and we spend 21 days, you know, to really set aside time to actually seek the face of God, there's this really idea of actually just unplugging from everything else and spending some time in your own life really knowing the ways of God. I don't know whether you've experienced this. I know I, I have. Who loves technology? Give me a wave. No one? Okay, fantastic. I love my technology. And, you know, there's been many times that I've been on the, 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 you know, the help desk, you know, when my internet was down or when my computer was not working. And the very first thing they ask you to do is to unplug. Before you do anything else, they say, we want you to unplug, turn it off, Wait a while, plug it back in, and let the whole thing reset itself. Church, this time of prayer and fasting is about unplugging, resetting, and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you into your life again, you know. And so this time of unplugging, it's not just about petitioning God for things, but it's about coming to your own place and walk with God that you would know the ways of God in a more deeper and meaningful way. And so the disciples are asking Jesus this in the Luke's account, but we're going to read Matthew's today. And they're saying, God, will you teach us how to pray? We want to learn the way to actually tap into God himself. And so Jesus begins to speak to them about this. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 15 to 13, begins to speak about the Lord's Prayer. And I love what he says here as he begins to give the disciples instructions how to pray. He says, now when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling. I like that word. Ever say babbling. I love that. Babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then this is then how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, Jesus is talking to his disciples about some great keys about prayers that work. Prayers that shake the heavens. Prayers that will be effective and powerful. Prayers that give you an ability to tap into the resource and the wonderful blessing that God offers to you and I. And I like what he says this right at the beginning. He says, don't babble. 
I love that. Don't babble. You know that word in the Greek actually comes from the idea of Battus. Battus was a very famous poet in those days. But he was man, he was a man who was known to write long and tedious poems. He was a babbler. Now I'm sure in his poems there were some many great thoughts, but those thoughts got lost in Battus's babbling. Have you ever met a babbler? Give me a wave. Someone who just keeps on. Someone who has the amazing ability just to tell a short story long. And a, a person that always breaks the 160 character limit when it comes to SMSing. A babbler. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, when you pray, don't become a babbler. What is he saying? You know, this is the thing I really find interesting about the Lord's Prayer. It's funny, I was at a, a function the other day in a, in a mainline church, and they, we, they prayed the Lord's Prayer as part of what they do as part of the service, right? The, the thing that I, when you read the Lord's Prayer, you've got to understand that there was, on one end of the scale when people were praying, there were religious prayers. So there were babbling prayers. There were mindless mantras. There were things that people would say over and over again in the, in the marketplace and in, you know, publicly and things like that. And so when Jesus comes to his disciples, he's saying to them, I'm going to give you an alternative. I'm going to give you the Lord's Prayer, which is not a mindless religious mantra that you just babble, babble, babble aimlessly, but I'm going to give you something that is direct opposite to that. I'm going to give you a prayer that is powerful, that is effective, that has the ability to change your life if you take it to heart. And so the Lord's Prayer was not another religious prayer. It was in direct opposite to the babbling that went on in the religious society. You know what I find in church history is that we have taken the Lord's Prayer and we've plonked it into the category of endless babbling religious prayers and we actually forget the power and the potency of what it can actually do. Listen, church, it was never meant to be in that category. Come on. It was meant to be in a revival category of people hungering and going after the things of God. And so it was never meant to be prayed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Power and the glory. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Church, it was never meant to be that. I guess the only positive light is there are many people that can recite the Lord's Prayer because of their different religious backgrounds. But when Jesus is talking to his disciples, it was never meant to be in that category. He was saying, I'm going to give you something that is in direct opposite to that. Something that if you pray it, and if you go after it, and if you understand the pattern and the way and the principles that it's been built upon, it can actually have the power to change your life. So today we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, not so much necessarily at the words, but the principles that it is addressing and the things that it is nailing with his disciples because they're looking at everything else and they're saying, we don't want that. We want something, the way that we connect with God that gives us the power to access his presence. Come on, who wants that this morning? 
And, you know, we often talk about praying and going after the presence of God. But, you know, there's just some people who just don't know how to pray. And so I think this here is a great model and a great pattern that we can learn from how to make our prayer life effective. So I'd say this to you today. If you treat this prayer just like a babbling prayer, just we'll just recite it, you're going to miss the idea, the potency, the principles that this particular prayer has been built upon. So we're going to have a look at that this morning. You ready for this? All right. He says this in verse 9. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says to his disciples, I want you to address God as our Father. Now I want you to notice in this prayer that Jesus does a slight shift when it comes to his disciples. He introduces the idea of Father God to his disciples. You see, right up to this point when he would pray, he would say, my Father in heaven. He would pray and say, my Father, you know all things, right? But now he's introducing to his disciples, he's including them in into the inner sanctum of now being children of God by saying, you can now pray our Father. You see, it's an invitation into the inner sanctum. It's invitation into intimacy and connection and relationship with him. You see, when he prays our Father, when we pray our Father, if you really think about it, it is a term that relates to privilege. It is a privileged term that the children actually use of their dad. And the point that he makes is this, is that when you come into prayer, when you take time aside to speak to God, as a child of God, you are in a privileged position. Listen, church, you are not some random, you are not some disconnected person that is out there praying to some distant God that is out there in the hope that your prayers would reach him and you would find favor with him and that you would find in some way that in your humble state that he would respond to you because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, because of who you are as a child of God, you are in a privileged position to go to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and ask for his provision and his blessing over your life. It is the greatest privilege. You know, the word, the, the word privilege means a right and benefit enjoyed by only a person beyond the advantages of most. There are people that I meet in life that do live a privileged life. And they live a privileged life because they've worked hard. They've lived a privileged life maybe because they've grown up in a very privileged family. There are other people that I've met that are now in a place of privilege because they have just worked hard all their life and they've achieved certain things. But you've got to understand today, our spiritual privilege when it comes to God is not based on what we have done, not based on what we can do, not based on our faithfulness, but our privileged position in the Lord Jesus Christ is because what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And the point is this, is that even before you start praying, church, you have to nail this one in your life. You have to come to a place that you understand that you are favoured. That you're not coming from a, a place that, you know, will God really bless me? Will God really speak to me? Will God really help me? Does God actually listen to my prayers? I don't know, maybe you've never grown up like all of us have in a privileged house side and we've always struggled in life and 
have had to, you know, win every battle and have to work so hard and it's always been one step forward, two steps back. But in your approach to God, it is completely different. And prayer begins with a privileged connection. And the point I want to encourage you and make with you is this, as you start your prayer life, you have to come to him with this understanding that you are favoured from God that you have a heavenly father that loves you so much that you are not coming as a disconnected random person that doesn't understand the goodness of God, but you are coming as a child of God, a God that hears you, a God that wants to respond to you, a God who is kind to you, a God who is compassionate to you, a God that loves you, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus Christ is. And you know, I think when you come to God with this idea Woe is me. Does God really listen? Does God really love me? Does God really care for my family? I think if you come in your prayer life with that position, can I just say this? I think it just completely kills the faith in your prayer life. And so when I say this, it's not just to encourage you with an inspirational thought. The reality is this you are favored. You are favored. Because of what Jesus Christ did. I just think that when we come with a, with a negative mindset when it comes to the Lord, I think we reduce the power of what the Lord Jesus has done in our lives. You know, I met a religious guy a, a few years ago, and you know, he, he came from a very religious church. They love the Lord, but they're just very religious. And you know, he, he got stricken with, with, a, with, with a disease, you know, I think it was with cancer. And he turns to me and he goes, you know, do you think God is punishing me? I go, where did you get that in the Word of God that God would punish you with the very sickness that He nailed to the cross when He died on the cross for our sins? But if you take that position in life, that as a child of God, that God doesn't have the worst for you, but God's got the best for you, that as a child of God, that we serve a benevolent God who loves us and cares for us, if you don't wrestle with that one first, you are always going to struggle with your faith life. Your first wrestle is the wrestle of understanding that you have to take it by faith. Listen, your prayer is not the way that you feel. Your prayer is taking it by faith. The times that you don't feel favoured, the times that you feel discouraged, the times that you just feel, you know what, what's the point in this? God is not listening. You go, you know, I'm not going to go by my feelings, but I'm going to go by faith. I'm not going to go by my circumstance, but I'm going to take it by faith that I know that I'm a child of God and that God loves me and that God cares for me and that I've got the favour of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Matthew chapter 13, verse 16 to 17. says, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many of the prophets and the righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. The point is he making to his disciples, he goes, you are in a privileged position because you are experiencing the very thing that generations of men and women of God long to see and hear, but that you are living in today. You see, not only is our Father a, a, a term of privilege, but it's also a term of authority as well. Privilege also comes with an authority as a child of God who was born again because of our faith in Jesus. We have authority in prayer. We have access to petitioning God, to seek Him, to speak over things, to declare what type of authority? Authority over people? No. Authority over the unseen world. Authority over destructive forces that would 
seek to harm and bring pain to your family. Authority over the enemy, authority over issues that would seek to discourage and wreck the future of your children. An authority that can take hold of the, the very thing that would threaten the peace in your home. You see, when you understand that he's your father, you understand that beyond your authority, there is a greater authority that you submit to. And you operate under his authority and you can speak into that. You know, I wanted to read some other scriptures this morning very quickly that we can often religify. That's a word. What is today? We've made it a new word. Words that, you know, prayers that are powerful and their authority, but we can often reduce them down to just some religious babble. Jude chapter 1, verse 24 to 25. To him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all the ages now and forevermore. Amen. So you can't treat that as just a religious babble. It is something that has power in our lives. Praise God that we served him who was able to keep us from falling. Come on. You see, we stumble throughout life. We get it wrong. No matter how godly we think we are, we mess up. But the reality is he's the one that can keep us from stumbling. He's the one that can make sure that when we want to go a certain way, that he challenges us to go a different way. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. Another great passage of scripture that often we can just reduce down to religious babbling, but it has such potency and power for this reason. Ever since have I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Listen, you cannot know him with the natural eye. The only way that you can know him is with the spiritual eye, with this revelation from God, with this wisdom from on high. That's why when you try to explain your faith to people, right, and we have to witness and share, but they only really understand a snippet of what you've gone through because it cannot be received by the natural light. It can only be received by the spiritual light. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about, right? He says that you may know him better. I praise that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe that the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What a powerful passage of scripture. So he says to his disciples, he goes, when you pray, begin with our father. Begin to understand that you come from a position of privilege. You don't come from a position of disconnection. You know, it was a radical term for the disciples. That's why it wasn't over in the box of religious prayers. Because for, their, for years they just thought of God as, 
you know, the judge and God who was up there who looks down upon them. And now Jesus says, we're about to invite you into the inner sanctum because of what I'm about to do with, uh, for you on the cross. It was a radical idea to actually say, God, the Father. Furthermore, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12. Let me quickly read this. Again, he's talking about God the Father. He says, ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? God help that none of us have actually done that. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then, if though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything do to others what have them done to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Listen, I know there are many people here, you haven't had a great relationship with your dad. So we often wrestle with the idea of God our Father. Can I say this? You've got to pray that God give me the revelation of wisdom and understanding, that I have a benevolent Father who loves me so much. You know, we've got to take it by faith. That we have a perfect God that's not going to hurt us. We have a perfect God that's not going to destroy our lives. But we have a Father in heaven who is the ultimate example. He wants to pour out his blessing in our lives. You've got to start with that position, that you are favoured, that you are privileged, that God's hand is upon your life. Church, I know it's a simple thing, but I'm going to tell you my 30 years of pastoring, man of people that have struggled with this idea, does God love me? Does God care for me? Is God really with me? Man, you've got to deal with that one once and for all. Jesus, God sent his son on the cross for us, you know. There is no feeling that you go through that can ever override the practical, very real thing that he's actually done for you and I. We live in a generation that is so driven by feelings. I don't look at people's feelings, I see by what they do. And we've got to judge by God by his actions. And the reality is he sent his only son to die on the cross to prove to you and I that he wants to have no gap between us so that we can have a phenomenal, powerful, connected relationship with him. The second idea is this, is that he says, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, holy is your name. You see, in the, in the same breath, there is a recognition of the holiness and the majesty of God. The awe that comes with knowing the Lord. You know, I just think this is such a powerful idea that prayer keeps you in the awe of the majesty of God, the goodness of God, the the graciousness of God. You see, when you pray and you come to God in relationship, you say, our Father, my Father, I'm in relationship with you. It also gives you boldness to come into the throne of God. You see, when he says, hallowed be your name, holy is your name, that passage is, he's actually saying that we are recognizing the character of God. We are recognizing that we serve a God who is holy. We serve a God who is just. We serve a God who is kind. We serve a God who is compassionate. We serve a God, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And see, when you come to God, you know, you're not coming in your might, but you're coming because he is mighty over your circumstances. And I want to say this, you know, people that say, how do you pray first, Pastor Matt? One of the first things that I do, I actually acknowledge the character of God. Because when I acknowledge the character of God, it actually releases faith in my life to believe for great things. I've got to tell you, when I, when I you know, sometimes I meet people and they don't have a great track record of, of actually getting things over the line or, or doing certain things. So my confidence in their ability when they make promises to me are very low. Who's ever met someone like that, right? And so when I come to God, I recognize who he actually is. Hallowed be your name. 
I'm recognizing the character of God in my circumstance. So the very thing that I start doing when I begin to pray, say, God, I love you. I thank you that I'm connected with you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that I'm your child. I thank you, God, that that doesn't matter what I do. There's nothing that can ever separate me from your love. It is great for you and I to actually confess that over our lives. The second thing that I do is that I just begin to acknowledge the character of God. God, I thank you that you are holy. God, I thank you that you are kind. God, I thank you that you are loving. I thank you, God, that even if I have been faithless, I thank you that you are faithful. God, I'm sorry for what I did last week for getting mad at that person that cut me off on the freeway. God, I ask for your forgiveness because I thank you that you are faithful and just, the character of God, to forgive me of all of my sins and all of my unrighteousness. You see, when you begin to start your prayer life with this idea, it immediately takes the focus off you and puts the focus back on God. But if you come to God and your first words are Adam, oh God, I'm so useless and I'm terrible, you know, and I just messed up, oh my goodness, God, it just becomes about you. But when you start to go, you know, God, I thank you for your character. I thank you that you are holy. I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are kind. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you, God, that you forgive me. I thank you, God, that you don't record my sins. I thank you, Father God, when I come to you, as far as the east is from the west, it's just the ability for God to forgive every single area of my life. I want you to notice at the beginning, you're not asking for anything. You're not coming to God with a list of petitions. You are coming to God with this understanding of who God actually is. And I think one of the reasons why it is so powerful in your prayer life is for those few moments, it actually takes your eyes off your circumstances and put your eyes back on Him. See, that's one of the reasons why praise and worship is so powerful. Praise and worship is not about the greatest songs that we sing, whether you like the songs and whether you want more of this and more of that. Praise and worship is about taking your eyes off your circumstances and actually putting your eyes back on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. See, when I pray, for those moments, I get my eyes off my issues and I put my eyes back on Him. And listen, there is something powerful that happens in my emotions, in my resilience, in my strength, when all of a sudden now, I've actually taken the eyes of what I'm doing and put my eyes back on Jesus and the character of who God actually is. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I don't know what you've been through this week or over the last 12 months. But the Bible says this, they are momentary troubles compared to eternity that outweighs everything else that the enemy has possibly thrown in your camp over the last 12 months. You cannot compare the two. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, I do believe that, you know what, Preda, I think sometimes when you and I go through things, I think we get fixated on them. I'm a person, I'm a very focused person. And uh, the danger with focus is that you can get fixated on certain things. Who's ever been like that? No one. Okay, hallelujah. 
Now I'm going to get fixated on that. No one put their hand up. I'm going to get fixated on that. Now there's a challenge. There's an issue that you're having to deal with. You get fixated on it. It's like this, but your fixation has made it like this. It's consumed your focus. It's consumed your emotions. It's just consumed who you are. You just get fixated, you know. And what you go through is probably no different to what maybe a million other people have gone through in their lives, but for you, because of your fixation, it begins just to change the way that you pray, the the way that you view life, the energy that you can give to your family, you know, the way that you can respond in marriage, the way that you can help other people, the way that you can perform at your job. You all of a sudden are diminished. And I feel prophetically this morning, there's some people here that are like that. You are diminished. Just the cutting edge is taken off your sword because you are just locked into this thing that is a challenge, but because you're fixated on it, it becomes a lot better, bigger than what it actually is. And so the Bible says to us for not to get fixated on issues. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily ensnares, entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You know, when we begin to get fixated back on the character of God, listen, it just breaks that, that ability that thing has that just fixates our focus and our attention on those things that are just going to bring destruction to our soul. And so when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Listen, it's not some babble. It's not just some religious thing that you do. It's not just some acknowledgement, okay, that's who God is. There is a shift in focus. There is a shift in attitude. There is a shift in the thing that is draining your soul back to the character and the goodness and the favour of God in your life. I want to encourage you over these next 21 days to really focus on that, to really get before God And before you come with your petitions, and the rest of these things are petitions and things that you can ask God for and you can expect in great faith that God is going to deliver. But even before we get to them, begin with with an attitude of relationship. Begin with a position that you are in a privileged position. You are in a position of high favour because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Praise God for that. Let us never become familiar with that in our own walk with God. But at the same time, come and acknowledge the character of God. Come and acknowledge the goodness of God. I'll tell you, church, it just begins to shift in you the thing that consumes your thinking, the thing that consumes, you know, the stuff that you think is just going to overwhelm you and kill you and destroy you. It actually begins to shift that whole perspective. I've got to tell you, there are many times in my prayer life that I've had to deal with some really big things. And I've I've just brought it to God in prayer. And I've said, all right, God, I'm just going to wrestle this one with you in prayer. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you, God, that you're more powerful than that. And you know what? Just the claws of the enemy over my mind begins to just loosen 
because I'm now speaking the word of God over my circumstance and the words that God has promised me out of his word. And I'll tell you what, church, it makes a massive difference. I can tell you what, most people struggle in this area and then they give up in their prayer life. They go, well, how can I pray when I'm worried and I'm stressed and I'm worried about those, th- those things? But if you just spend the first 10, 15 minutes of your prayer life just doing that, just doing that, I believe it's going to have a significant difference in the way that you actually relate to the Lord. You know, I, look, I do believe, I know that, you know, we are not saved by, by, by our works, but we're saved by grace. But I have to say this, that when you have an active prayer life that has the ability to pursue God over long periods of time, it has a dramatic effect on the rest of your life. You know, Paul talks about praying without ceasing. The Bible says many times of Jesus that he would go off and pray. He'd pray all night. It is interesting that when you look at the, 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 the disciples, they, we don't see a lot of praying in the, in, you know, in, the, uh, in the Gospels, but we see a lot of praying in the book of Acts. I think they started to work out that an active prayer life over a long period of time has a very significant effect on everything else in your life. And, uh, you know, when you begin to just get before God on a regular basis, you start praying and just praying and praying. So, you know, 15 minutes, just so, even five minutes. If you can't do just five minutes, God, I thank you today that you're faithful. Thank you today that you're good. Thank you today that you forgive me of my sin. You know, can I just say this? If you live in shame because of some of the things that you've done in the past, can I say this? You've got to receive it by faith that God has forgiven you. If you've come to the Lord and you've asked for forgiveness and you've asked that God will cleanse you, you've got to come to Him and say, God, I'm, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to repent, I'm going to walk away from that thing. You've got to receive it by faith that God has forgiven you. He's dealt with that sin once and for all. And you can now move on with a great hope and expectation that God is going to bring blessing and favour into your life. You know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.